Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity for us to gather online today. Lord, I would ask and pray that as your word goes forth, as we look into your scripture, Father, that you would minister to our hearts. God, we find all of our hope ultimately in you. And God, it's through your word and through the presence of your Holy Spirit, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, Father God, that we are able uh, to have this relationship. And God, I pray that as we as we meditate on your word today, that you would strengthen our relationship with you. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this season. I thank you for the birth of your son, Jesus. And I thank you for each and every person gathered today. I pray blessings upon them, upon their lives, and upon this season for each and every one. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. Well, I'm so thankful that you're joining us online today as we are continuing in our Advent series, uh, New Beginnings, Thrill of Hope is the title of the series, and we're in our third week. Now, the first week, Pastor Alex actually kicked us off by looking at a Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and that's what we're doing every week is we're looking at a particular Christmas carol and how it relates to the season. And what Pastor Alex told us is, as he looked through that song and actually Luke 4, that Jesus came for all of us and he came to set us free. It was an amazing message, and if you've yet to see it, I'd invite you to go to New Life Online and, and check it out. Last week, Pastor Chris walked us through O Come, All Ye Faithful. Again, a great song, but ultimately, he said that we are to adore Jesus because Jesus was obedient to death, death on a cross, which is is an amazing thing. And it's because of that death that we adore Jesus by obeying what Jesus asks us to do. Now, this week, I get to look at another great Christmas song, Christmas Carol, and it's Go Tell It on the Mountain. Now, I'd love to tell you that Go Tellin' on the Mountain is my favorite Christmas song of all time. It's not. My favorite Christmas song of all time is actually Snoopy's Christmas. It's sung by the Royal Guardsmen, and it's an obscure one, but I love it. It comes on occasionally on the radio, and I crank it up, and I make my kids listen to it, and I don't know that they love it as much as I do. If you've yet to hear the song, Google it. It's well worth the listen. But uh, the song basically is about Snoopy, and he's in a dogfight, no pun intended, with the Red Baron, his arch nemesis from World War I. You all know the story. And so it's, it's right before Christmas, and, and they're having this dogfight, and the Red Baron is going to shoot Snoopy down, but he hears the Christmas bells from the village below, and as an act of holiday charity, he only forces Snoopy to land, and they have a holiday toast, and it's a great song, and I love it, and it's my favorite one, and we didn't pick it for this, this series. And I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's a terrible Advent song. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. But it's just, it's a fun song, and I love it. But it doesn't fit nearly as well as Go Tell It on the Mountain. Because Go Tell It on the Mountain, like all good Christmas songs, reminds us of what happened that night. And ultimately, what helps us to see what happened that night, and as a result of what happened that night, ultimately, that we have hope right? And that we can proclaim the truth of Jesus from the mountain because of the hope that we have in him. Now, the writers of the original Goat Tell It on the Mountain were certainly folks who would, be, who would be in need of some hope. And I say writers, but we don't actually know that this song was originally written. And that's because Goat Tell It on the Mountain is an African-American spiritual. And most spirituals weren't ever written. They were passed on orally, 
What we do know is that a slave or a group of slaves got together and they created this song. And it's an incredible song. Now, we do have record of it because of the work of one man. His name is John Wesley Work Jr., or I should say it was. He was born in the 1850s, I believe. And he actually went about the task of recording these spirituals. And like I said, they weren't written down to begin with, and so he would have to go from place to place. And these songs would, would be passed from generation, generation to generation, and also from plantation to plantation. And so he went through the work of recording all of these spirituals, and it's actually in his second volume that we find the first recorded words of Go Tell It on the Mountain. Now, the song itself uh, draws very heavily on a passage of Scripture with which many of us may be familiar. It's found in Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you, or if you have the Bible app there, or there's also the notes section online, you can follow along with my message today. It'll have the scriptures that we're going to reference. I would encourage you to, to flip to Luke 2 or just follow along. Now, I will say this. We're going to hop around Luke 2 quite a bit, and we're not going to read every verse. We're going to allude to some others, and we're going to hop in and out of, of the scripture as we look at the song itself. So if you have time this week, I would encourage you to sit down, read Luke 2 in its entirety. It's a great passage, but we're going to be hopping around a bit today. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, and then 13 through 14. And then we're going to look at the song and how it basically summarizes the action that happened, or the occurrence that happened between the angels and the shepherds, and then the shepherds' ultimate response to all of that. So Luke 2, 8 through 11, and 13 through 14 says this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to, whom, to those with whom God is pleased. Now, if we look at that scripture, and then we look at the first couple verses of Go Tell It on the Mountain, we realize that what the authors of Go Tell It on the Mountain did really well is they summarized the scripture. Verses 1 and 2 say this, While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. And then, obviously, the famous chorus. And then, the shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Luke 2 goes on, particularly in verses 12 and 15 and 16, and what happens in this passage is the, the angels tell the shepherds how they're going to actually identify the Christ child and then how the shepherds respond. And it says this, verse 12, and you will recognize him by this sign, you will find, him, find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And verse 15, when the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And again, verse 3 of the song summarizes very nicely, down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born, and God set us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. Now, 
As I reflect on the words of the Scripture and as we look at the words of the song, I can't help but think about why would slaves want to remember this moment? And I do mean remember because in an illiterate society, songs and poems are the means by which you remember things. Now, we know that most slaves were illiterate, and this is something that was really pounded into my head when I was in seminary because I studied the early church, and most of the early church was illiterate, if for no other reason than the fact that books weren't available back then, right? The printing press hadn't been invented. And so in illiterate societies, you have a song or a poem, or in the church world, you have liturgy. And what that does is it allows folks to remember basic things that that they ought to remember, that they hold or cherish, that they can pass along to others in an easy way. So why did a group of slaves find Luke 2 so important that they decided to author a spiritual? Well, it's because I believe they, like many throughout the ages, ultimately found the birth story to be one of great hope. This idea is actually going to be our take-home point for today, and and the take-home point is the one point that I seek to make throughout the entire message and that we can kind of take with us, and it quite simply is this. We have hope because of Jesus' humble birth. We have hope because of Jesus' humble birth. I'd like to focus in particular on a couple lyrics within the song, uh, The Lowly Manger and The Humble Christ. Also, for context, I'd like to look in Luke 2 at the family of Jesus, And also, the shepherds play a really prominent role in the song and in the scripture, so we're going to look at them as well. But from the song itself, the lowly manger, the humble Christ, Jesus' family, and then the shepherds. So let's start with the family. Now, what we know is that the Bible makes it clear Jesus was born into a common family. He's born into a common family. Mary and Joseph are of no particular renown, right? Now, Joseph was born of the line of David. He was part of David's lineage, so to speak, but he didn't have any control over that. He was just born. And we also know from Scripture that that Mary and Joseph are not wealthy folks. We know this because later on in Luke 2, they go to offer a sacrifice uh, actually for the birth of Jesus. And it says this, Luke 2, 21 through 24. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, what you don't see in this passage, but we know from the Old Testament is you're allowed to offer birds or pigeons if you can't afford a lamb. That's actually stated in Leviticus 4, verses 12 through 8. If a woman cannot afford to bring a lamb, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One will be for the burnt offering and the other for the purification offering. The priest will sacrifice them to purify her, and she will be ceremonially clean. So Mary and Joseph are poor. They're poor folks. And we also know that because of a census that's occurring, we read this earlier in Luke 2, we're not going to get into that today, but because of a census that's happening, they're in Bethlehem, but Bethlehem is not their home. They actually reside in Nazareth right? Or, yeah, in the region of Galilee. And so they're, they're traveling, and they arrive in Bethlehem, which is not their home. 
and Jesus is born. So when Jesus is born, they're displaced. Now, we also know that there's an issue regarding space, right? And as a result, Jesus is placed in a manger. Now, most of what we know about this portion of the story, we've learned from years and years of Christmas pageants, some of which is true, some of which isn't. But the story typically unfolds something like this. You know, Mary and Joseph, they arrived in Bethlehem. Mary's always riding a donkey for some reason, although that's not in Scripture. And she's practically having contractions, right, on the donkey. And so Joseph rushes into an inn, and they always get like the snottiest kid to play that innkeeper because he's like, there's no room. And Joseph's like, I have a pregnant wife. She's going to have a baby. He's like, there's no room. And so they scramble, right? And ultimately what ends up is they, they end up in a stable or a barn of some sort, and Jesus is born, and they put him in a manger. Now, that's a pretty compelling story. But we don't actually know that Mary was in the throes of childbirth when, when she arrives in Bethlehem. Actually, it kind of reminds me of that story that Pastor Alex just told of the birth of Rachel, he and Rachel's son, Joel, where they're like rushing to the hospital at the last moment. We don't know if that's the case. Scripture doesn't say that. And actually, if she is, it's probably poor planning on the part of Joseph, but we won't get into that. But we don't know that she was actually having contractions when she arrived. We don't actually know that she was riding a donkey. And as far as the inn, if we look at the Greek, that word can be taken a couple of different ways. It can mean an inn or it can mean like some sort of house on the side of the road, like a caravan house, like a guest house, or it can also mean a guest room in the home of a relative. So what we do know, though, is that if it is a guest room, that room's probably full because the entire family's in town because of a census, or if it is an inn or a guest house of some sort, they're all full. So space... We do know that space was in short supply, and as a result, Jesus was born and placed in a manger. Now, it's a lowly manger according to the song, and I think that we can assume lowly manger because regardless if that was a normal practice or not, it's not exactly the digs of a king, is it, to be born and put into a manger. It's an extraordinary event, but a humble birth to a common family, and this is the lowly manger. Now, let's cue the shepherds. Most Christmas pageants like nail this part, right? They always get the, the, uh, the talented young person, right, to, to play the angel, and that's great because they have this kind of prominent role. And so the angel and this whole group of angels, they appear to the shepherds and, and they start to explain the details of the birth of Jesus. And then they launch into angelic praise, right? There's always this huge chorus. And I, can, I only wish that I had been there for that night. It would have been incredible. And the, and the shepherds at first are terrified. And then they're curious. And then they go and, and see if what the angels have told them is true. And they find, in fact, that it is true. And then according to Luke 2.17... They spread the word. Luke 2.17 says this, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Now, what's interesting in this is that the angelic praise happens before a group of shepherds. I'm not sure if you're aware, but shepherds weren't at the top of the societal hierarchy, right? They're not the most popular folks. They're not the upper crust. They're actually the most common they're the most common of the most common folks, which is interesting because in the Old Testament, God himself is compared to a good shepherd. But by the time that Jesus is born, there is no such thing as a good shepherd. 
It would be an oxymoron. It would be a contradiction. There is no such thing as a good shepherd. And so the angels appeared to these shepherds, the most common of the most common. And it isn't hard to see the thread, right, as we work our way through Luke. A common family, right? His birth, a lowly manger, normal shepherds. And yet this is the set of circumstances that God chose in order to facilitate the birth of his son. Mary and Joseph were were chosen, right? And the things that happened to them, well, that wasn't a surprise to God. He knew it would happen. And I think that we could probably all confess that if we were God, the, 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 the angels singing to a group of shepherds probably isn't the route that we would have gone. Let's just imagine for a moment we're all God for a day. Right? For some of us, this isn't much of a stretch, but let's just pretend that we're God for a day and we have all of God's resources at our disposal. How many of us would have chosen to announce the birth of our son, the chosen one, the Messiah, in this manner? I don't know about you, but I would have done something, you know, something subtle, you know, like a banquet for all the heads of state, and then maybe we would cap it off with fireworks and a laser show, you know, something subtle, classy, like me. You know, I, I just wouldn't have done it this way. But what we get is angels before shepherds. And then the shepherds, those incredible shepherds, were the first missionaries to spread the good news of Jesus, which they did freely to all, to everyone that they knew. Now, whereas the circumstances were perhaps common, I think the song gets it right when it points us to the character of Jesus himself, a humble Christ. He is humble. He is humble. A humble Christ enters the world in the way and in the manner in which Jesus did. As Pastor Chris mentioned last week, Christ is actually a title, and it means anointed one. And in my opinion, this isn't how an an anointed one enters the world. It's just not. If you take the birth of Jesus and you compare it to other births throughout history of kings or even demigods in in different myths and legends, it's not the same. Jesus is completely different. You would note the differences, right, of how Jesus enters the world. And many of us, we've heard this story so many times that we've grown numb to the miracle that it is. The God of the universe stepped down from heaven and enters the world as this young child and as a baby. And while he's born into humble circumstances, he lives this normal life and ultimately he died and rose again, granting us access to the very throne of God. Now, Jesus didn't have to come in this way. He didn't have to. In fact, it it seems that he chose to do this. Pastor Chris referenced that last week. But he did so willingly to live the life that he did, to die the death that he did for all of humanity. And with all decisions, there are consequences, right? And so the decisions of Jesus have consequences. Well, what are the consequences? I think they're summarized really nicely in what is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says this, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest is ours, of ours, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, the author of Hebrews made the point that Jesus 
was the greatest high priest who ever lived. Perfect. Right? And because of this, because he was the greatest high priest, he was able to ultimately offer a sacrifice that no one else could, and the sacrifice would free all of humanity from sin, and the sacrifice was himself. He was not, however, some distant being, right? It's not like he shot down and did the deed and left. No, he came as a common man and lived a normal life, and as the passage states, he intimately understands our weaknesses, he understands our nature, He understands our circumstances, right? The passage also says that he can sympathize with all of our weaknesses because he's tested, he was tested in every conceivable way, and yet he didn't sin. What an incredible God. What an incredible God we have. Jesus lived as he did, so we'd have a great high priest who can truly understand every aspect of our lives. So his life was one giant object lesson showing how we ought to live. We ought to live dependent upon the Holy Spirit, fully dependent. What's even more amazing is that from the moment that he was born, the lesson began. Even before he was born, the lesson began. Forsaking all the accolades that would certainly befit the chosen one, right? Jesus just enters the world normally in some sort of backwater town, right? Born to common folks. And he spent his first night in a feeding trough, which is incredible, right? And then the message that we see from Luke 4, or Luke 2 was and is really clear. Jesus has come for humanity. Pastor Alex actually referenced this in Luke 4 when he said he came to set us free, all of us, from the lowest to the greatest. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a few more details about Jesus' birth, And we know that he was visited by what were called magi or wise men from the east. And these folks are unique because they're great, right? They're rich, they're prominent, they're also Gentiles. And so Jesus came literally for everyone, Jew, Gentile, lowest, greatest. He came for all of us. There are none too marginalized, none too great, none too powerful, and even the Gentiles would be part of what he was going to do. And no wonder then, it's no wonder then really, that slaves would find hope in the birth of Jesus. It's no wonder that they would want to record this in song to remember it, to pass it from generation to generation. And even as they were traded, even as they were sold, they would pass it from plantation to plantation, which is heartbreaking to think about. But it's hope. And they understood what we ought to, to this very day. They understood what we ought to this very day, that Jesus brought hope that transcends circumstances. That's what we get from the birth of Jesus. We have hope that transcends our circumstances. We have a great high priest who entered this world in the humblest of ways. He lived the life we could not and died the death that we should have so that we too can come boldly to the throne of God, Hebrews says. And it's at that throne that we receive mercy and grace when we need it the most. So what's our response? What's our response? Well, the Bible makes it clear. We go and tell, right? Just as the shepherds proclaimed the story, so too ought we. Actually, the song makes it even more explicit. We shout it from the mountaintops. We go tell it on the mountain. And so 
when I consider this, when I consider this time, the birth of Jesus, oh my gosh, how can we get past the greatest hope of all, which is our salvation? When I think of a new beginning, a thrill of hope, I can't get past a baby in a lowly manger. And I can't get past a humble Christ who came to grant us hope regardless of our circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but I've needed hope this year. And actually, I'm looking forward to 2021, I think more than I've ever looked to a new year, look forward to a new year at any point in my life. I just can't wait for that ball to drop. But here's the deal, guys. Even though 2020 has been a challenge, and I hope that 2021 is a little easier, I've learned this year that hope placed in anything outside of Jesus is hope that's going to fade. Because we know that unless we put our hope ultimately in Jesus Christ, anything else, it's going to fade, it's going to break, it's going to disappoint us. Now, it's because the hope in Jesus comes from outside of us. Right? Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us hope that transcends our circumstances. And as a result of that, we as believers get to proclaim this hope in every instance of our lives. Every instance of our lives. Everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do, everywhere we live, everywhere we work, and everywhere that we play. It's a hope that's greater than us. And that is what we get to go and tell from the mountain. And as we do that, we'll actually live out our next step for this week, which quite simply is this. I will tell of Jesus' hope this week. I will tell of Jesus' hope this week. May we do so in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, overflowing with the hope that we have in Jesus, because of whom we can approach God's throne of grace and there find his mercy, his grace, his peace. And let's live that out especially during this time, this Advent season. Amen? Amen. Now, in Jesus, we have a God who fully understands what it's like to be a human. He understands everything about us. And if you have yet to experience the hope of Jesus in your life, why not today? He came so that we could have that hope, an eternal hope. Here at New Life, we say that accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord is simple, but it's not easy. It's simple because it's as simple as ABC. It's not easy because it's a commitment that lasts our entire lives. And it's also because we ask Jesus to not only be our Savior, but our Lord. We say ABC because it means that we admit and we believe and we confess. We admit that we're sinners, that we're in desperate need of a Savior. We believe, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Ultimately, that he is the son of God. And we confess. We confess not that we are just sinners and that we have sinned, but we also confess that we are in desperate need of Jesus, the bringer of hope, to be the Savior and Lord of our lives. Now, if that's you this morning, I would invite you here in a moment when I pray uh, to take a moment in the quiet, in the solitude, and ask Jesus to enter your life as Savior and Lord. For the rest of us, it's my hope that as we walk forth today, we would live out that hope that we spoke of in the message today. Let's take a moment and pray. Father God, I would ask right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts, that your spirit would speak to our spirits. Lord, for those who do not yet know you, I pray that in this moment, God, that they would make that commitment as Savior and Lord, that they would simply say, Lord, I need you in my life. Would you enter in? 
Would you be the Savior and Lord of my life? I confess that without you, I cannot do life. I don't have hope. Everything fades away. But with you, Father God, when you enter in, all things are possible. And so, God, I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would bring about the work of your salvation in the lives of those who do not yet know you, especially today. Father, I pray for those of us who do know you, Father God, that we would live out the hope that we have through your Son and that we would proclaim his truth and love to a world that desperately needs it. Father God, give us boldness, grant us boldness to proclaim your truth and love this week. I thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did make that commitment today, would you let us know? Uh, there's, a, there's a button you can click and just let us know that you did commit your life to Jesus today. Someone will connect with you right away and they will help you because you have just made a first step of many steps. And it's an important step and we want to help you navigate that well. For the rest of us, may we live out this week full of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and may we declare it boldly to a world that's in desperate need. Thanks.